Okay, yeah, in case you didn't hear what Carol had to say, um, next uh, Saturday, we're going to go Christmas caroling throughout Elder Sunday. Sunday. Sorry. That's why I have you all here to keep me in check. <laughs> um, next, next Sunday, we're going to go Christmas caroling, and, uh, and, and it's a really great time. Uh, and then we're going to come back to the church after caroling, and we're going to have chili and cinnamon rolls, uh, which is a Kansas thing. I didn't know this. Uh, as a Floridian, this was a bit of a surprise, but it's actually really good uh, to put those two things together. And so, um, so we're going to come back, but last year, we ran out of chili, and so if you uh, love to make chili, if that is something that um, you enjoy doing, we would love for you to bring a big old crock pot of chili uh, to the church so that uh, we have enough to go around. And so, um, so yeah, thank you, Carol, for making that announcement. Also, um, we, uh, one of the ministries that Hope um, participates in is called the Angel Tree um, Christmas, where uh, we sponsor families and children of uh, prisoners that are at El Dorado Prison. And, uh, and so we uh, had some uh, angels for you to take off of our tree, uh, but we have three more families uh, that were brought to us. And so we have just three more opportunities uh, to love on a family. And so if you are interested in learning more about that, or if you're interested in grabbing an angel, then um, you can go outside and uh, in, at the, the Christmas tree next to the fireplace, and there'll be some information there. And I'm stalling as best I can. How are we doing? Well, we've got a manger. I don't need the display. Okay. That's fine. Yes, as long as it's up there, then that'll be all right. I think Amber's watching at home, isn't she? Yeah. Hi, hon. See, we need you. I don't care what anybody says. We need you. Golly. Okay. Are we good? Oh, praise the Lord. Man, I just, maybe we need to pray before we get going. All right. Let me pray. Oh, God, thank you for technology and thank you for the wise, wise people in the sound booth who um, helped restore that technology so that people understand what I'm about to say. And so, God, I just uh, pray that um, you help us refocus on um, what you have uh, to say to us today. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. Um, I, I really do. I love this time of year, um, and I'm so glad that you're here as we begin this new message series called Home. And over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at how the church can be a home where you can experience the joy, peace, love, and hope of Christmas. Now, for most of you, this is really good news. You know, anytime we hear good news, we usually want to tell other people about it. When we get excited about something, when something good happens, we just want to spread the word. And you all have experienced this. Maybe it was when you got a job that you really wanted. I remember the day that James Brian Smith called me and offered me the job at the Apprentice Institute. At the time, I likened it to giving birth because this offer was like 10 months in the making. And it was really painful to deliver that, uh, that job offer. And there was some doubt as to what the job would look like. You know, that, that we weren't sure what my responsibilities would be. We lost it again, didn't we? Man. Um, and there was even doubt that the offer was even going to come at all. 
um, because Jim wasn't sure how uh, they were going to fund my salary. Uh, but the offer arrived December 3rd, 2013, almost exactly five years ago today. And I was so excited. I jumped around the house and I told Amber and I told my family and I told my friends. I said, I've got really good news. I'm moving from Florida to Kansas. <laughs> and they were like, what's the good news part? <laughs> what? No, they were sad that I was leaving. Oh, you thought this was another Kansas joke. Never, never, never. Well, sometimes it's something real small. You know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. I remember the first time I ate chicken and waffles at the Doodah Diner. Has anybody eaten at Doodah Diner? Some of you? Okay. Now, the, the Doodah Diner has this chicken and waffles dish that's to die for. It's this large, fluffy Belgian waffle that's covered with two fried chicken strips, covered in sausage gravy and vanilla maple syrup, and then on the side they have a piece of bacon that's dipped in dark chocolate. Is anybody getting hungry? Anyways, the first time I ate there, I couldn't wait to tell everyone about it. Well, sometimes it will be an experience we've had. And every day we see some kind of video on Facebook and somebody saying, you have to watch this. And I want to show you a video clip if we can pull it together, maybe, partly just to illustrate how we love to send videos to people, but partly because there's a combination of joy and terror in this video that we're going to come back to, if possible. but it's not looking like it's going to happen. And, and so sometimes, you know, you just, you know, you pray to God and you say, Lord, just give me a video that I can show my congregation that will illustrate exactly what I'm trying to say. And then technology gets in the way. So I'm just going to tell you about the video and we're just going to bail uh, because that sometimes happens. And so it's this really great video, and maybe you've seen it, but there's this dad who brings home this large box, and there's, uh, the box is open, and there's plastic in the box, and there are lobsters in the box. And, and this little kid, his little kid comes up, and he's like, wow, can I touch it? And dad's like, no, because, you know, lobsters have pinchers. And, uh, and I, I think they're getting ready for some kind of a seafood dinner. And then the kid goes, wow, can I touch it? Like he didn't get the message the first time. And dad's like, no, you can't touch it. And so it's, it's really funny because this kid, all he wants to do, I mean, he's just, he's kind of terrified. He knows that lobster's a little scary, but, um, but he's fascinated too. And he just, all he wants to do is just touch the lobsters and dad won't let him touch the lobsters. And, and so it, it's really funny because when we see videos like that, we have really interesting language around that, okay? Um, it, it's a video that will go viral. It's like a virus. You know, it'll be infectious. It'll spread. And you just can't stop it. And we are like that. When we get excited about something, we just want to talk about it. We just want to tell other people about it. We are spread the word kind of people. We are good news tellers. And with that in mind, I want to uh, show a statement. If, if we don't have it up, then I'm just going to tell you a statement and, uh, about the Christmas story. And this is from the Gospel of Luke about some shepherds. And Luke says, this is from Luke 2, verse 17. When they had seen Jesus, they spread the word. 
Now these were just shepherds, but now they had a message. Now they had a mission. Now they were becoming life changers. They went from being shepherds to being life changers. Now I want to encourage all of you as we look forward to Christmas to spread the word about Jesus, to become a life changer. And this matters so much how God invites us to be a part of the story. And here's the story. This is from Luke 2, 1 through 4. Luke says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. Okay? So I want to talk about a kind of contrast between what's the real good news, because this will be real important to us. And the story begins. And Caesar Augustus made a decree that all the world should be taxed. That's a pretty awesome thing when you think about it. And hey, gang, if you want to just cut this, just turn it off. All right. Um, so it's a pretty awesome thing when you think about what Caesar did. Okay? One guy is able to make a decree that everybody ought to pay money. And it ought to go to him. Why? Caesar knows he was the guy that had the power. He was the guy he believed who was good news for the world. As a matter of fact, this is from an ancient inscription. It says, Caesar Augustus is savior of the world. In that language, savior of the world is kind of a loaded message because Caesar claimed that as his title. In fact, the word gospel, good news, in Greek is the word euanglion, euanglion. And so that word gospel was actually a technical phrase that was used in the first century to describe the beginning of the reign of a Caesar. The assumption was that was good news for the human race. This is another ancient inscription from the first century. Okay, it says, the birthday of the god Augustus, because he claimed to be divine. So the birthday of the god Augustus has marked the beginning of the good news gospel. That's loaded language. So it has marked the beginning of the good news for the world. And that's kind of an odd thing. The birthday of Caesar was regarded as the beginning of the gospel, the good news. Does anybody know when Caesar Augustus' birthday is? I looked it up. It's September 23rd. You already missed it. (laughs) Hallmark does not sell a whole lot of birthday cards for Caesar Augustus. But there's another birthday from a long time ago that's still going real strong. Would it come as a big surprise to Caesar? I mean, Caesar had the money. Caesar had the influence. Caesar had the power. He believed that his reign was good news for the world. He was bringing peace to the world. He was bringing prosperity to the world. Anyone in the ancient world who read the story in Luke would have thought, wait, Caesar's the good news. Luke says, the strangest thing happens. Caesar makes this decree that all the world ought to be taxed. In another part of the world, he would never visit. In another country, he would have never heard of. And and from a guy that he would have never met named Joseph, this guy Joseph goes to his own hometown, 
By the way, his hometown happens to be the place where, according to the ancient prophecies, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born. Immediately, for anybody reading the story, the question would arise. Who's really in charge? Who's really making the decisions? Who is really this good news for? The Christmas story is really the story of Joseph going home. Christmas is all about going home. And we don't know much about Joseph's home. We don't know if he had property back there. Uh, we don't know if he had been there recently. Uh, did he have family there? All we know is that it was a little town called Bethlehem. It's really interesting. In Hebrew, Bethlehem means house, uh, house of bread. It's the house of bread. Somebody would be born there who would one day say, I am the bread of life. If you are hungry, you can come to me. When I think about Christmas, I think about the house that I grew up in in West Palm Beach, Florida on Stratford Road. I think about my mom's baking at Christmas time and how good the house smelled. I mean, is there anything better than walking into your home when somebody's been baking all day? And she'd make bread from time to time like banana bread. But the main thing my mom baked was Christmas cookies. And she'd bake Russian tea cake cookies and date bars and those little cookies with the Hershey kiss in the middle. And then she'd bake this, these uh, Christmas-themed shortbreads. And, they, and they, they were cutouts that came in all shapes and sizes. So there were Christmas trees and Santa Clauses and stars and angels and things like that. And we helped her decorate them. And so we put frosting on them and put the sprinkles on. So when I think about Christmas, I think about home. On Christmas Eve every year, we would host my mom's side of the family at our house. My aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and great-grandparents, they would all be there. And we ate food and cookies. And the adults sat around and visited and drank scotch on the rocks while my kid sister and I ran around and played with our cousins. When I think of Christmas Eve, I think about that home. And then on Christmas Day, after opening up presents and eating brunch at our house, we would go to my dad's side of the family. My dad's parents hosted on Christmas Day. And there would be tons of food, including a jello mold that had walnuts in it. Seriously. I mean, come on. What kind of pagan puts walnuts in their jello mold? But we ate food and sweets. And the adults visited and drank more scotch on the rocks while my kid sister and I ran around and played with our cousins. It was so much fun. And that was Christmas Day. So when I think about Christmas, I think about home. And there was a song that was real popular back then, and it's still popular today. I'm sure you've heard it. It's called, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And it's kind of an odd thing. In all of those homes, there was so much joy. And I loved them when I was growing up. But there was a lot of pain in every one of those homes. Mostly that I didn't know about back then. And such a poignant phrase, I'll be home for Christmas. It may fill you with nostalgia or gratitude. It may fill you with pain. Your home may be just a, a Looney Tunes factory. And it's really painful to go back there. We all have a longing for home. That the next generation, you know, it'll be better for them. It's a funny thing about home. Home is actually quite a hard word to define. 
It's not just where you live. There may, there may be a building where your body stays, but you wouldn't call it home. Home is a place where you're supposed to be safe. Home is supposed to be a place where the heart is, where love is supposed to prevail. But we live in a world that isn't safe, where people don't feel excluded, and where love doesn't prevail. It turns out that our longing for home, our homesickness, is something that this world cannot satisfy. You and I and everybody was made for a deeper home. And Jesus came to talk about this. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. Whoever loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them. And then this amazing promise. And he says, and make our home in them. You were meant, amazingly enough, to be the place God calls home. God wants for you to be at home in him, and God wants to be home in you. And this invitation is intended for the human race. And Jesus put it like this one time. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He would tell stories about the human race invited to come home. He would talk about a prodigal son who makes terrible choices. Maybe you have. He wounds his father, he wastes his money, and then he wakes up one day and finally admits that his life is a total mess. He says to himself, I have to go home. I don't know if I'll be welcome there, but it has to be better than this. What he doesn't know is that his father is waiting for him with outstretched arms. The heart of the father Jesus said, this is the heart of God for you. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, just come on home. I just want you to come home. The invitation for all of us, if you know Jesus, if you've made your home through him with God, is to tell people. Just spread the word. Jesus the Savior is born, and anyone who wants to can come home to God. And I know what happens. Anytime I talk about this, people feel like, yeah, but I don't know how to do this. I haven't been trained to do this. I'm not articulate enough about my faith. I'm not sure what I ought to say about it. I really don't feel adequate. That's why we're talking today about the shepherds. The shepherds were the first guys to spread the word. Now, in our day, we think about shepherds in kind of sentimental terms. We think about shepherds as these gentle, humble guys who were real nice, who, of course, everybody would want to be around. But in Jesus' day, shepherds were not regarded in this way. In Jesus' day, they were actually looked down upon. In Jesus' day, in Israel, there were certain occupations that, because of the people who did those jobs... Because of what went on in them, they were actually regarded as what rabbis would call despised occupations. These are occupations where mothers, you don't want your kids to grow up to be. Despised occupations included gamblers with dice, moneylenders because they oppressed the poor, pigeon trainers. Now that's kind of strange, isn't it? But pigeon racing was considered to be a form of gambling back then. So pigeon trainers... Not a good idea. 
And there would also be Sabbath-violating farmers for obvious reasons. And then shepherds. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. There you go. It was just assumed that shepherds were dishonest. Shepherds would take their flocks and they would eat on the lands that belonged to other people. They would eat other people's grass. It was assumed shepherds would sometimes steal sheep from their flock for their own benefit. Shepherds were considered to be just kind of these dishonest, thieving people. You know, in our day, there will be certain occupations that people make jokes about. In the ancient world, this is from a Jewish writing called the Midrash. There's not a more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Shepherds were so looked down upon that they were not allowed to bear witness in the court of law. Literally, if you were accused of a crime and your only alibi was that you'd been playing poker with three other shepherds, you were in serious trouble. There was nothing you could do. They were not allowed to bear witness in the court of law. Yet at shepherds, God chose to be the first ones to bear witness to the birth of his son, Jesus. Why? If shepherds could bear witness to Jesus, then anybody can bear witness to Jesus. It's not about the credibility or the articulateness of the witness. It's about the person of Jesus. It's about spreading the word. I have to tell you. And we do that for cat videos and videos of little kids like eating bacon, screaming bacon for crying out loud. Bacon! (laughs) We do it about our jobs. We do it for chicken and waffles. Why wouldn't we do it for the thing that matters most? One night when these shepherds are in a field, an angel appeared. And the shepherds are overwhelmed with fear and joy. An angel, wow, can I touch it? No. Would have been a lot funnier if you'd seen the video. (laughs) Wow, an angel, can I touch it? No. The angel says to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That's the word. That's the gospel. See, it's not just about good news for folks. And it's not just about Caesar. It's not about money. It's not about power. It's not about human circumstances. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. Even you shepherds, you who are listening to me right now. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. It's not Caesar. Caesar's name is great, but he's no Jesus. That's what they were saying. And I was just thinking about some of the names that we talk about in our day. We just talk about these names all the time. People like Warren Buffett. Does Warren Buffett have power? Unbelievable power. Nickname is the Sage of Omaha. You know, he just says something and it changes whole markets. But he's not Jesus. He can't save anybody. Here's another amazing name, Oprah. Does Oprah have power? Oh my goodness, does Oprah have power? I mean, she makes entire careers. Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz. She puts books on bestsellers lists. But, you know, not too long ago, she bought 10% of Weight Watchers, and in a single day, Weight Watchers stock improved 105%. Oprah has amazing power. But she's not Jesus. Can't save anybody. Here's another name. Patrick Mahomes. Does Patrick Mahomes have amazing power? 
Oh my gosh. Anybody see that Chiefs-Rams game a couple weeks ago? He threw six touchdowns in a single game. Of course, Peyton Manning threw seven in a single game back in 2013 for the Broncos. But, you know, who's keeping score, right? (laughs) Patrick Mahomes has amazing power. Jesus wishes he could throw touchdowns like Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes never saved anybody. He isn't Jesus. Here's another amazing name. Taylor Swift. Does Taylor Swift have power? Unbelievable power. If you date Taylor Swift and then break up with her, she will write a song and then the whole world will know what a scumbag you are. (laughs) Taylor Swift has unbelievable power. But she's not Jesus. She can't save anybody because there's only one name in heaven and on earth by which we are saved. And I'll tell you the power, what the power of Jesus can do. Only Jesus can answer your prayers. Only Jesus died on a cross for you. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. Only Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Only Jesus can give you a purpose for your life. Only Jesus can give you a hope beyond your death. Only Jesus can make his home in your heart. Only Jesus was born in a manger and died on a cross and was resurrected. And today, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, is still changing lives. Only Jesus does that. The word came to the shepherds and said, I have to tell people. When the shepherds had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now notice this. Again, these are shepherds. There's all kinds of reasons why the shepherds shouldn't do this. You're not even educated. I know, but Jesus... You can't even testify in the court of law. I know, but Jesus. There's no reason why we should listen to a bunch of dirty thieves. Yeah, I know, but Jesus. When they spread the word, all who heard it were amazed. Now, it's not the shepherds, guys. Now, it's you and me. And I'm asking you because this is part of the mission of our church. And we share it with every other church. But this is our day. And this is our church. And this is where we live. Will you spread the word? Will you be a life changer? And this Christmas Eve, if there's any time of the year where people are going to open up their minds to God, it's going to be this time of year. And I don't want Christmas Eve to be just this warm, fuzzy experience for folks. And I'm praying about this. And this year, I believe Christmas Eve is going to be a great service. And I'm planning to give the clearest invitation I know to tell people about Jesus and then invite them to give their lives to him. And I want to give you a little challenge on this. You know, there's a a thought I usually discourage. A lot of times, people will hear a sermon and what they'll find themselves thinking is, man, there's somebody else I know. I wish they were here to hear this. Usually, that's a sinful thought. Usually, if I'm talking about stubbornness and you're having that thought, you're the stubborn person who needs to hear that message. If I'm talking about greed, you're the greedy little guy or little gal that needs to hear that message. This year, for Christmas Eve, I don't want anybody in here thinking, oh man, I wish this other person was here to hear the sermon. 
We want to do the very best we can to create an atmosphere and a message that's inviting people. You have to know this Jesus. You have to give your life to him. Then the invitation for all of us is to be life changers. And I want to say a word about who. And then I want to say a word about why. The who is our community of El Dorado where there are about 13,000 people living, 30,000 if you include the surrounding areas. And every one of them matters to God. When Amber and I started at Hope Covenant over two years ago, the statistics were alarming. Believe it or not, El Dorado has a large population of unchurched and de-churched people. These are people who are not in any kind of relationship with God and don't belong to any kind of church at all. And when you don't really know any of these people, that fact may seem like just kind of an abstract statistic. You may think, yeah, I've heard that before. Until one of those people is your son or your daughter, or your brother, your sister, your mom or your dad, and they don't know Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's no longer a statistic. For anybody who has ever been there, You know the pain that comes on Christmas Eve when your family is gathered together and there's that empty space because somebody, there's somebody that you know that doesn't know God and you would just give anything if there was just some church that was praying like crazy, somebody who was praying like crazy to reach this person I love for Jesus. Here's the thing, friends. Everybody is somebody's son somebody's daughter and we're going to be that church I want to be that person you're going to be that person there are 30,000 people walking around the greater El Dorado area most of them have no community of faith and they don't know God and I want to say that this day this weekend as clearly as I know how to say it there is a who there is somebody in your life God wants to reach through you And then there's a why. And that why is every human being is made for eternity. And we face the prospect of heaven or hell. And I know those words can be talked about sometimes in churches in ways that can be manipulative. And I know, but the fact remains, we know from Scripture that God has placed eternity in the heart of every man and every woman. Death is not the end. And every human being is going to face death and an eternity of joy together with God or of unbelievable pain of being excluded from the presence of God. You know, nobody in any church is so educated that they're not gripped by this reality. Here's the thing. Jesus is in the life-changing, life-saving business and he does this all the time. And just last month, Kiara, daughter of Don Bocamp, sat on the stage in front of her friends and peers and adult leaders at Aftershock on a Wednesday night and professed her faith in Christ. And this is just weeks after Don was baptized in this very space. And Don, wasn't it Butler Mission Week? It was about the time that you got connected to Hope Covenant? Friends, Jesus was in the life-changing, life-saving business 2,000 years ago, and he's in that same business today. 
Aren't you glad to be a part of a church where people are finding Jesus? Wouldn't you like that to be a part of your life? Here's the thing. I don't know what all of you do for a living, okay? You may be way high on the ladder. You may be way low on the ladder. You may be a CEO, a shepherd, a volunteer, a retiree. It doesn't matter. You're called to be a life changer. I don't care who it is, in El Dorado or any place. Nobody is so rich, so educated, so beautiful, so healthy. Nobody's so successful. Nobody's climbed the ladder so high that they don't need to kneel before the cross. Jesus is still in the life-changing business. And we get to be a part of that. And that's my question. Will you be a life-changer? Will you pray now and ask, God, would you help me to be really bold? Would you bring names to the people to my mind? If my heart's been a little cold or a little hard about this, would you make it real warm and tender? Would you help me when I'm with other people to think, you know, I could plant a little seed with this person. You know, I could take a little risk with this person. I could be a little bolder with this person. Spread the word. Tell the good news. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to ask for me and everybody who is a follower of you. Would you help us remember again? Would you help us be undone and overwhelmed again with the matchless person of Jesus and this life-changing offer of his gospel that leads us from death to life? Heavenly Father, we pray right now for those in our lives and for some of us, God, that name, that face that will come up real fast, that son or daughter, that brother or sister, that person or work, that person at a restaurant or at school or at a store that we know and love. God, would you be at work at them? Would you be at work all over the world, God, in this Christmas season? Would you bless every church and every ministry? God, we pray right now for our church, for every follower of Jesus. God, could what happened once through the shepherds happen through every one of us? Could we just be lit up inside by your spirit? Help us spread the word so that many, many people will find Jesus as their savior and come home where the heart is. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.